Welcome and thanks for joining us. Shall we pray? Father God, we ask that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you this morning. We pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we would see the truth and that it would have an impact on us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chester Bennington was an American singer, songwriter, musician, and actor. He's probably best known for his role as lead vocalist in the band Linkin Park. Now, I'm aware of the fact that many of you might not know about Linkin Park, especially those who are in the category of age a little bit older than my own. So let me tell you a little bit about them. Linkin Park was virtually unknown when they released their first uh, album in 2000. It was called Hybrid Theory. But by 2005, it had been certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America, which means that it had sold in excess of 10 million copies, which is remarkable for any album, but especially a debut album. Nevertheless, the album went on to top the charts in 16 different countries, and to date it has sold more than 27 million copies, making it the most successful album uh, of the 21st century, the most successful rock album. The album has a lot of appeal because amongst other things it is very real and raw and gritty because it deals with Chester Bennington's um, upbringing, the constant fighting of his parents and their eventual divorce and his struggles with addiction. In fact, that theme continues in their second studio album, which is called Meteora, in a particular song called Somewhere I Belong. Let me read you some of the words from the song. When this began, I had nothing to say, and I'd get lost in the nothingness inside of me. I was confused, and I let it all out to find that I'm not the only person with these things in mind inside of me. But all the vacancy the words revealed is the only real thing I got left to feel. Nothing to lose, just stuck, hollow and alone. I want to heal, I want to feel what I thought was never real. I want to let go of the pain I felt so long. Erase all the pain till it's gone. I want to heal, I want to feel like I'm close to something real. I want to find something I've wanted all along, somewhere I belong. On July 20th, three years ago, Chester Bennington, at the age of 41, was found dead in his Palos Verdes Estates house in California. He left behind his wife and six children. His death was ruled a suicide by hanging. The day that he chose to hang himself would have been the 53rd birthday of his close friend, Chris Cornell. Cornell had done exactly the same thing two months earlier. And at the time of Cornell's death, Bennington, who was actually godfather to Cornell's only son, wrote on Instagram, I can't imagine a world without you in it. Why would I tell you this tragic story? And believe me, I don't intend any disrespect to Chester Bennington in fact, our hearts should break when we hear stories like this. But the reason why I tell you is because that need for belongingness 
is a fundamental human need. It's something that we all long for and we all desire. And if you're wondering where we're headed today, here are some of the road signs to look out for as we progress. The importance of belonging, the lack of belonging, the place of belonging, and the implications of belonging. The importance, the lack, the place where we find a real and a true sense of belonging, and then the implications when we live in that place of true belonging. So let's have a look, first of all, at the importance. What is belongingness? A research paper from the Journal of Psychiatric Nursing defines a sense of belongingness as the experience of personal involvement in a system or environment so that persons feel themselves to be an integral part of that system or environment. Here's another definition, perhaps a, a simpler one from Wikipedia. Um, belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group. It's actually hardwired into us as human beings and the psychologists and psychiatrists have recognized this for many, many decades. There seems to be this hardwired imprinted acceptance that humans have a desire to be a part of something important and greater than themselves. And not only is it hardwired in, into every human being, not only is it, I suppose the, the psychologists wouldn't say this, but not only um, is it hardwired, but we are created with this desire to belong. It's also universal. The Mayo Clinic website observes that nearly every aspect of our lives is organized around belonging to something. And a sense of belonging, and I'm quoting here, is fundamental to the way humankind organizes itself. It's imprinted on us. It's universal. It also gives meaning to life because it enables us to become a part of something that is greater than ourselves. It implies relationship. I don't think any human being can deny that we are created as relational beings. Why is it that we don't come together to procreate and then the husband and wife just simply separate and the mother boots the children out of the nest at the earliest poss possibility? We don't do that because we, 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 we come together in families. Those families are the foundational building blocks of our communities. And it's all built and centered around this need to belong and to be part of a system. I think it's partly because we also recognize the importance of interdependence. Every person would claim that they want to be independent. But the reality is all of us know that we depend on other people for certain things and they depend on us for certain things. There is a need for interdependence and if we don't have those needs met by other people then we're in a bad place. So it's important because it's hardwired, it's universal, it gives meaning to life, it implies relationship and interdependence and lastly it is crucial to our well-being. Two psychologists, Baumeister and Leary, they did groundbreaking work on belongingness and they developed the need to belong theory which argues that belongingness is such a fundamental human motivation 
that we feel the consequences of not belonging severely, as witnessed by the life of Chester Bennington. Belongingness is crucially important to human beings, and the problem is that we lack it. Let's read now from today's passage, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens with this, it's, I beg your pardon, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's Word. We're talking about the lack and that's what this passage is about, the lack of belongingness. At one time the Gentiles Paul was writing to did not belong. And he gives them two reminders of their lack of belongingness. He says, therefore remember that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. The Jews ostracized the Gentiles because they weren't circumcised. They didn't follow the law. They weren't chosen by God. Now remember that the Jews were chosen on the basis of grace, not because of anything that qualified them to be chosen. No, God simply chose them as a means to start working in mankind. And yet they used this as a basis for separating themselves as a basis, in a not in a sense, but in actuality for racism. They despised the Gentiles and in turn they were loathed by the Gentiles. Name-calling was involved, you uncircumcised people. I wonder if you've read The Sneetches. This is a book by Dr. Zeus. I think it should be prescribed reading for every family. We used to read these stories to our children. Let me read you this one, uh, a, a section from The Sneetches. Now the star-bellied Sneetches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon those. 
those stars weren't so big. They were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. Isn't it true that we often make much of things that are only skin deep? And if not skin deep, even cosmetic. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag. We're the best kind of sneech on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. And whenever they met some, when they were out walking, they'd saunter straight past them without even talking. The second reminder is in verse 12, where he says, Remember that you Gentiles were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and you were estranged from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated, alienated and estranged. What a bleak picture to paint. And yet so many people feel like that in the world today as though they are separated, estranged and alienated. Just think of a relationship where two people have broken, out, uh, broken up in a sense with each other because something has happened to betray trust. The one is estranged from the other. Maybe the husband leaves the family. He becomes a stranger to his own family. He feels rejected. They feel rejected by him. This is the kind of picture that Paul is painting here. Or alienated. Um, maybe I am, uh, I am estranged in a sense from another person because, because they belong or they are a citizen of another country. I'm an alienated because I don't enjoy the same rights as them. I don't enjoy the same privileges as them. This was the situation for the Gentiles. Now, you might ask, what on earth has this got to do with us as Zimbabweans today? You probably haven't come across a Jewish person for decades. I know I haven't, and I certainly haven't been called an uncircumcised person by somebody who is Jewish. So it's a good question. What does this have to do with us as Zimbabweans? And this question has sort of puzzled me for decades, literally for decades. Well, let me tell you what Paul is trying to do here. Well, not trying to do, he does it very successfully. He's making it clear that every human, whether Jew or Gentile, lacks belonging. Let me explain. Notice that Paul uses the phrase, in the flesh, to describe the state of both Gentiles and Jews. And those two categories actually embrace the whole of mankind, don't they? If you take any human in the world, they'll either be Jewish or they'll be Gentile. Non-Jews are categorized Gentile because they've not been circumcised and vice versa. But what is circumcision? And I'm, and I'm asking a rhetorical question here, of course. It's merely a sign in the flesh. It's skin deep. It's cosmetic. It's in the realm of the fallen physical world. And therefore, it cannot address the heart of the problem, which is a problem of the heart. And so the Gentiles had no hope and they were without God in the world. And that phrase in the world is similar to the phrase in the flesh because it refers to the sphere in which they lived. A sphere that was isolated from God and what he was doing in the world. But the Jews, the Jews hadn't arrived either. 
And Paul emphasizes this with some irony, actually, in verse 11. God has begun to give them belongingness. Yes, he'd entered into covenants of promise with them. Yes, he'd given them circumcision as a sign of the covenants. Yes, he'd given them the law, which was referred to in verse 15. But all of this was partial because it was only in the flesh. It was only skin deep. In fact, the only reason why God had chosen the Jews um, and done all of this for them was to point all of mankind in the right direction to point them to the ultimate peace that would bring place into, uh, I beg your pardon, bring people into a real place of belonging. And Paul reminds us also of the temporary nature of the Old Testament covenants by quoting from Isaiah 57 verse 19. He does that in, in verse 17. Let's read it. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What's, he's do, what's he doing here? He's, he's referencing um, an Old Testament passage which gives us a hint that the gospel is not only for the Jews but also for the Gentiles. The Messiah is going to come and he is going to preach peace to those who are close, in other words the Jews, but also to those who are far off, in other words the Gentiles. One day, he's saying here, the Gentiles will be included and everyone, everyone can potentially find belongingness through the Messiah. Let's move on. Now, we've talked about the importance of uh, belongingness. We've talked about the lack of it. Let's find out where we can find this place of belonging. Just have a look in your Bibles there at verse 13. It begins with the word, but. But now, but now, there's about to be a change. And that but sets up a contrast. And it's very clear that the contrast is between being in the flesh and in the world with being in Christ. He's contrasting this sphere in which human beings are separated from God, separated from what he's doing in the world with this sphere, which is God's sphere, where he's working and saying that those two will overlap in Christ. Folks, it is only in Christ that you will find the belongingness you were created for. The belongingness that your heart longs for. The belongingness that you endlessly seek and only partially find in things like family, even in churches, in clubs, in supporting a particular football team, in um, enjoying a particular band. None of these are going to satisfy because they are all in the flesh. They're only skin deep. They are in the world. They are, they are in that realm where God is not able to work. And so our belongingness is only found in Christ. And the only thing that will bring you there, notice this, but now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near. Brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. He's using that phrase to summarize the theology that he's just taught us in the first part of the chapter. Namely, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. It is only the blood of Christ, the work that he did on the cross, that can bring us into Christ. And so your place of belonging, folks, is in Christ. But why? In verses 14 through to 18, Paul explains why. He says, for he himself is our peace. Our place of belonging is in Christ, for he himself is our peace. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean that Christ is our peace? What happens in Christ that makes him our peace? And folks, we could start a series of sermons on this. I'm just going to go through it very quickly, but I'd encourage you to go back to this passage and meditate on these things. First of all, he unifies us in one entity. He has made us one person. There are two different um, categories of human, there are different categories of humankind. And the one that we need to focus on today is the one that is in Christ. He has unified us in Christ and has set up a completely different category of humankind. So he unifies us. He made us both one. Then it says, he breaks, broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Most commentators believe that Paul is referring to the barrier in the temple which um, separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. This was a sort of in the flesh symbol for Paul because like circumcision, it was a barrier merely in the, the realm of fallen human beings. Even though it was instituted by God to give the Jews a partial sense of belonging and to point all men to the ultimate sense of belonging. Paul got into a lot of trouble actually because people accused him of having taken a Gentile from the court of the Gentiles into the court of Israel. Actually, he hadn't done it. It was a false accusation. But there were all of these signs along that barrier saying, if you are a Gentile, you cannot proceed any closer. Rejection. If you do, you do it on pain of death. And the only thing that will break down that barrier is the blood of Christ. Jesus breaks down this fleshly barrier in his flesh. His perfect human body, which is in a different realm to our fallen human bodies, breaks down barriers merely in the fallen human realm. In fact, Jesus does more. He does more than break down in his flesh, fleshly barriers to belongingness. He unifies us in one entity. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. It also says that he abolishes the law expressed as ordinances. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he has abolished the moral principles and motivation of the law, but simply those laws expressed as ordinances that separated Jews from Gentiles. That was no longer necessary, and he abolished it in his flesh. And then he goes on to create in himself one new man in place of the two. On the cross, get this, Jesus was doing a work of creation. Remember, he started everything 
because the Bible tells us that it was through Christ that everything was created. But now on the cross, he is doing a work of recreation. He is creating, this verse tells us, in himself, one new man in place of the two. There's that separate category again, that different category of one new man, one new entity that is in Christ. So he unifies, he breaks down, he abolishes, he creates, he reconciles us, fifthly, both to God. We see that in verse 16. Our relationship with God, and it's a fundamental, foundational relationship, had broken down irreparably when we rebelled against God. And we needed to be placed in right standing with God. And of course, this was done through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He reconciles us both to God. And then lastly, he gives us access to the Father in one spirit. Not only have we been reconciled to God, but we have been brought right in to his very throne room where we have access and intimacy with him. So our place of belongingness is in Christ. And he alone is our peace. Why? Because he unifies us into one new entity, a new category of humankind. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. He abolishes the law. He creates in himself a new man in place of the two. He reconciles us both to God and he gives us access to the Father. Let's reflect for a moment on the effect of all of that. Because Paul does exactly that in, a verse, in verses 19 to 22. And it seems like he's casting around for metaphors to describe something that can't really be described in our human experience. Because its effect is, is almost on a cosmic scale. And he uses four metaphors and he sort of jumps from one to the next and merges them into each other. The first metaphor is a metaphor of citizenship. We all know that if you belong to certain countries, it's a good thing because it, it entitles you to certain privileges and rights which you don't get in other countries. So he uses that metaphor of citizenship to show what our belongingness produces. And then he uses the idea of membership of a household. Now the interesting thing about the Old Testament concept of a household was that it went beyond mere blood relationships. So Don and I, for example, could be in the same household even though we weren't related by blood. And that's the case because God has created this new, um, new category of humankind where we are in Christ. Don and I are actually in closer relationship in God's household um, than I would be to him if I was his blood brother and he wasn't a believer. We are in the household of God. And these households in the Old Testament could get pretty big. We, we read in the Old Testament that Abraham, when he went to go and rescue his nephew Lot, it says he took 318 trained men from his household. They, they'd been raised in his household. They were all part of the same unit, all under the same protection, all unified by the same purpose. And then he moves on from the idea of a household to a building and then ultimately from the idea of a building to a temple and we need to mine these things for meaning but let me just say very briefly a temple is a place 
where God lives. And a temple is a place where God is worshipped. That's what he's done. He's created in us, in this new category of mankind, a place where he is living and working powerfully in the world and in a place where he can be worshipped and adored in order to point other people to him. So, belongingness is important. We all lack it and we find it in Christ for he himself is our peace. Let's lastly have a look at some implications. Now, it's very significant that in the entire grouping of chapter 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians, there is only one command. This is quite unusual in the Bible. Usually there are lots of commands. And that's because Paul is teaching a whole lot of theology. But there is one command, and it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and it is the command to remember. To remember is very important. Now, what I'm referring to here is not simply mental recall. It's something different to that. Let me, let me try and give you an example. Suppose I go out for a meal to a particular restaurant with my family, and at the end of the meal, I just feel a little bit sick because I've eaten far too much. And it's because the portions at that restaurant are much bigger than one would, would need, or, or certainly bigger than I would need. So I say to myself, Ian, the next time you eat at this restaurant, remember to ask for a doggy bag. You don't have to eat it all at once. You're going to feel sick if you don't. The funny thing is that a couple of months later, and this has happened to me, it's probably happened to you, I go back and I do exactly the same thing. And folks, it's not because I've forgotten what happened two months ago. It's just that the memory is not vivid in my mind. There's an excellent sermon preached, by this, uh, preached about this by Tim Keller. He says that remembering is not just mental recall. It is to have something t- so central to your consciousness that it affects you completely, and in particular, your behavior. So the day after I'd had that experience, that, that experience was, was still at the center of my being. It, it was influencing my thoughts, it was influencing my emotion, it was influencing my will. And if I was to make sure that I didn't repeat that experience further on down the line, I would need to keep that experience central to my consciousness so that it's affecting every part of me, especially an outworking of that in my behavior. That's what we need to do with the theology that we have been taught in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. We need to keep it at the center of our consciousness. We need to reflect on it. We need to think about it. And we need to do it in the presence of God, in an attitude of prayer, so that it brings to the very center of our being those truths in such a way that they affect our lives and the way we behave. Let's do that just for a moment for us as believers in Zimbabwe. We need to remember these things. First of all, that you do belong. If you were raised in a family that constantly withheld resources from you, constantly withheld privileges and rights from you, you would feel rejected by that family. You would feel a stranger and an alien to that family. And you know what, folks? 
that is exactly what's happening to us in Zimbabwe. Every Zimbabwean is being sent the message, you do not belong. If you're a white Zimbabwean, the message has been sent out very clearly over the decades since independence, you do not belong in this country. And many white Zimbabweans, in a sense, don't feel like they belong. But it's not just white Zimbabweans. Ndebele Zimbabweans also don't feel like they belong. And in actual fact, every Zimbabwean, even if they're Shona Zimbabweans, don't feel as though belong because they don't belong to that privileged and elite group of Zimbabweans that are holding on to all the rights, all the privileges, all the resources, and sending to the rest of the nation this belief that they do not belong. But let me tell you something, folks. We don't need to look at those privileged people as being the, the source of the problem. We need to look beyond them because this is something that Satan wants to do. Satan wants to send you the message that you do not belong. Because if you know that you belong and you hold that, you remember that at the center of your consciousness, at the center of your will and your thoughts and your emotions, then you are going to, be in a, you're going to act as an entirely different Zimbabwean. You're going to see yourself as a member of a temple, as a, as a participant in that sphere of, of um, activity where God is changing things, where God is moving. Folks, every one of you, you need to remember that you belong. The second thing that we need to remember is that we have a cornerstone. Paul refers to this cornerstone, doesn't he? He says that um, Christ is the cornerstone. In him, the whole building rises. What was a cornerstone? Well, it, was the, it had two functions. First of all, it was to provide alignment and orientation for the building so that it would be set up in the right way. And then second of all, it was to provide stability. It was the primary load-bearing stone of a building. And some of these cornerstones have been found in Palestine. And one of them, in particular, weighed 570 tons. And it just beggars the imagination. Isaiah 28.16 mentions a cornerstone. And it was significant because it promised security in a time of destruction. Even if a flood came and washed the rest of the building away, the cornerstone would still remain to provide a place of stability and refuge. Folks, Christ is our cornerstone. We have a strong foundation, not simply for our own benefit, but so that we can participate in what He is doing to reform and transform Zimbabwe into a place that honors and glorifies him. The last thing that we need to remember, and I'm sure that you can think of more, is that we cannot, folks, in the church, we cannot entertain racism. The only valid barrier between races was the law expressed as ordinances. And that was established by God and not by man. And now it has been removed. And if that is the case, if God has removed a barrier that he set up, we didn't put up any barrier between ourselves and other people. Christ has broken down 
every barrier in his flesh. And every barrier that separates one human from another is only skin deep. It is only cosmetic. It is only a star on the belly. Folks, racism, I'm afraid to say, is a stronghold in our nation. It is a stronghold separating white from black. It is also a stronghold se separating Debele from Mashana. And we, as the church, cannot tolerate it in the bounds of our family where we are in Christ. And then lastly, I would just like to, to highlight that if you don't know Christ, if you are not in Christ, Let's just go back to Chester Bennington for a moment. Such a tragic story, which highlights the fact that every human being has been created to belong. But that essential sense of belongingness, that essential reality of belongingness, has been broken because of a dislocation that happened when we rebelled against God. And so if we are not in Christ, I'm afraid to say we do not belong. Because we're not, we have not been reconciled to one another and we have not been reconciled to God. And so we turn to all of these shadows of belongingness, clubs, societies, friendships. Such a devastating thing for Chester Benning, Bennington because he, he had belongingness in his friend with Chris Cornell, but Chris Cornell had died, taken his own life. And so these things, they're only shadows. They will not provide the ultimate place of belongingness that we need. We will only find it in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Father God, we, we're just immensely grateful to you that you sent Jesus to die in our place. In fact, he lost his belongingness to you and to the Holy Spirit when he died on the cross because he was separated from you. He, he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord Jesus, you know what it's like to lack belongingness. You know what it's like. You know what it's like for every person even who's listening to this message who says, yes, I can identify with this. I don't feel like I found a place that I belong. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were removed from belongingness, you were alienated, you were estranged, you were separated so that we don't need to be, so that we can be brought into that sphere of belongingness which is in you. We thank you for these things. We glorify you for them. And we pray that you would help us to remember them in the weeks ahead. We ask this all in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to spending time with you some more in the weeks ahead. Goodbye.